Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show with Nancy Hopkins, Walt Silva, and Dolly Howard. This is a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It's April 23rd, 2019. My name is Nancy Hopkins. With me is Walt Silva and Dolly Howard. And this is a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. So, hi guys, you there? Hello. I'm Hello, Nancy. I'm Dolly. Good to can hear you. Can you hear us? I can. I can hear you both. Oh, okay. Did you, did... I didn't know if we were still muted. No, no, I got you on. Did you hear the new theme song? I put your name in it. You I, did? I did. I fixed it. Oh, I didn't even recognize it. Well, it sounds the same. It's just got your name added. I was so proud of myself to remember to do it this week. What's it been, five weeks, six weeks? I don't know. That's okay. People know. Yeah, people know. So, um... You're both doing good. Dolly, you said you, you woke up today and you, you're doing pretty good, so that's a good indication that... I'm doing even better than when I woke up. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Yeah, Walt helped me via the posse. Walt helped you? Yeah. The the, the posse kept bugging Walt to tell me something, and, and uh, so he finally did. Boy, I'm feeling better. Yeah. And it's because of Mr. Spiral, because it involved Mr. Spiral. I had to thank him for doing a couple of things for my body, and boy, he didn't. I'm better, feeling better right now, anyway. Awesome. Walter. Sir. Good evening, Chief. How are you? Very good. I was watching that uh, the video that's in that link that you sent me. About that vortex math and Tesla, so that was really really interesting. It would, which goes to explain like why the the spirals are so effective because they're actually based on three vectors as opposed to two vectors on the life light rings. So I didn't know I, it, I, it ended up being that way, but I wasn't I didn't know I wasn't even looking for the number three, but that's how it ended up. The three nine six a uh, three six nine thing. Mm-hmm. Tesla. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a lot of connections with. Um, but is it fair to talk about this if if Dolly hasn't? Did you send Dolly the link so she could look at it? Oh hell! I don't no. want her be- feeling left out. <laughs> I Seriously, I it sounds like something I wouldn't understand anyway. <laughs> well, the the thing is that um, I saw the connection to. Uh, another thing, in, in the past, in other shows, I have mentioned the book Initiation by Elizabeth Hage, and um, I have read about it from other sources, but it always stands out in my mind, the memory of having read it in that book first, when she is uh, 3,000 years ago in Egypt, when her teacher Amenhotep is 
giving her esoteric teachings, he explains to her about the nation, uh, the nature of what we call the solid world, the material world. Uh, he goes on to explain that what you're actually seeing is 50% of something. Like, for example, you're looking at the table in the middle of the kitchen. Well, you're actually looking at 50% of the table because the other 50% of the table is on the other plane, is in like what we call the quantum field or the plane of the unmanifest. And he's explaining to her that in reality creation flashes, but it's like the flat, the scan lines on a TV screen that go back and forth, up and down, but they go so fast drawing the image, your eyes sees a solid image. It doesn't see any any flickering unless you use an instrument. So he's explaining to her that that flashing on and off is so incredibly fast that people are not aware of it. And a solid, something solid looks solid and feels solid and smells solid, and all your five senses acknowledge that you're surrounded, you know, by a solid world. You know, the chair that you're sitting on, and the computer in front of you, and so on and so forth. When in reality, uh, it's half the time is actually not it's not even here it's in the other in the other side so i was reminded of that when uh, the explanation in the video is very good in the sense that um, he's more graphic the way he's explaining things as opposed to being just pure solid math which i find very impersonal and difficult to conceive because you know my pet peeve if you're going to teach me something uh Show me what it's for. You know, just learning trivia, I, I don't have patience for that. I want, if I'm going to learn stuff, it's something that I can grab and use and make good use of it. And do you think so, that mathematics is trivia, right? <laughs> no, seriously. Not trivia, well, but just, just for its own sake, like people that like playing like mind games and, and puzzles with math, just for passing time. Uh, no, I want, I'll give you a perfect example of useful math. Um, in another text that I had read years ago, no, uh, yeah, I, years ago, when I read The Flower of Life, the two volumes by Drumvalo Melchizedek, in one of the chapters, he goes on to explain how for the ancients, mathematical concepts that are very difficult to grasp in, in modern times, for them, was extremely easy. They, they, didn't, they didn't need computers because they had a totally different attitude and a different grasp of math. So he gives one example that uh, in today's in today's scientific world, if you try to, if you need to do any kind of calculation that requires the value of pi, as you know, pi is a is a never-ending number. I mean, you can go out to a million digits, and it's still not ending. It goes on and on and on. So the uh, accuracy of your calculations will rely up to some point to the <laughs> precision you're going to use with a given number. And the same thing goes for phi or phi. It, it's six, you know, 1.618 and it just goes on infinitely like, like pi. But the ancients didn't need computers and they didn't need to break their heads with um, calculations of that nature. Uh, they represented, they found, they had a, a practical way to represent finitely these infinite numbers. So they didn't bother saying pi, three point something, something, something. They said 22 over 7. That's it, a fraction, 22 divided by 7. 
So in my work, when I've had to make things and design things and I need to figure out, okay, given this diameter, okay, how much material do I need to be able to put around this? Um, how much material I need to cut to be able to encompass this cylinder or encompass this circular body? So instead of doing pi, when I'm doing the calculations, I just do times 22 divided by 7. And I get a finite number, and it works just fine. When I cut the material, everything just fits perfectly. <laughs> there's no excess. There's no shortage. So the angels had a more, I think, more metaphysical or spiritual grasp of this, uh, of math in, in general. First off, the, uh, because I, I went on to watch the second video, the one that follows the first one, uh, which is even more insightful. Um, the thing, the, the image that starts arising from the information, at least for me, is that if you can imagine, you know, a giant platform and on this platform you have created the reality that you want, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It, you've created a reality and this reality is sitting on this platform. Well, that platform would be upheld by three pillars, three, six, and nine. Those would be the three pillars sustaining that reality because every proportion, every measure, everything is going to be dependent on those three values because um, when the gentleman in the second video goes on to show all other numbers except three, six, and nine, um, it's like Amenhotep's explanation of the manifested world. It's you're only seeing part of it. The other part is on the other side. It's in the quantum field. It's unmanifest. It's like the you're seeing 50% of the table. On the other end is the empty table, for example. Um, and this is what you see here. You could be looking. You're looking at these charts and tables full of numbers, but when you look at them a certain way, you see the three and the six and the night. They're actually hidden behind. They're like in the background, in the plane of the unmanifest. Even even nine, which is supposed to represent everything, actually goes and ends up re representing zero. For example, um, one of the things that they talk about is uh, digital roots of numbers. And the term kind of confused me because I've never seen that in math. I mean, I've seen calculus and uh, derivatives and infinite decimals and stuff like that in school, but, you know, digital root, what is this? And it turns out that it's a term they use when you have a number, uh, a greater than one digit number. Digital root is when you add all the numbers together and you keep adding them together until you end up with the one digit. So, for example, if you, if you, um, if you have the number 3,954, if you add up all those four digits, you'll end up reducing it to the number three. But here's the thing about the, the mysterious magical thing about the number nine is that it represents everything, but at the same time, it represents nothing because in that four digit number, 3,954, <laughs> if you get rid of the nine and if you get rid of all the numbers that add up to nine, you end up with the digital root. So, if you get rid of the 9 and you get rid of 5 and 4 equal 9, you just end up with a 3. That's the answer. That's the digital root of that whole number. 
Because if you do add them together, that's what you end up with. You end up with three. So it's really interesting how these three, it's like these three numbers are like foundations holding up the rest of the manifested world. And how the numbers, like uh, any number um, added to nine, if you get a two-digit number and you add those two digits, you'll end up with the original number because nine will disappear. So it's all that uh, manipulation. I'm sorry that the video doesn't say, okay, because the part that tickles my curiosity is, okay, let's get to the good part. Where do I use this? How do I use this? Well, that, <laughs> <But> then, yeah. <laughs> Dolly, is that all? You understand all that? <laughs> She's maybe she's. Oh left. yeah, I, yeah. I would. Yeah, I was right with it. I, I went ahead and put you on mute. Put me on mute. <laughs> and thought, bless his heart, he thought I'd understand that. <laughs> well, I, I actually wished I had read the article now. <laughs> I, I had that. Art. Well, what happened? No, let me tell you what happened, uh, Walt. Um, we had somebody on Facebook who. <clears throat> was talking in terms of she has a friend and she wants to get them shungite <clears throat> but they have a cell tower that's in sight they can see the cell tower um so if you if basically if you can if you you can see it you're being affected by it but i was like so amazed because the, the, the people that were getting involved in shungite now seem to be able to grasp some of the the intricacies that have befuddled even us in the, in the beginning. It's like people are beginning to understand what's really happening with it. They have an intuition developing or whatever. But she realized that if she put the nuggets with the trees, they had a lot of trees around there, um, she was asking, will that put up enough of a of a field you know and so i'm <clears throat> i read it and i go well i don't know let me think about this so i kind of get spacey and all of a sudden i'm seeing three six and nine i'm going oh okay three six and nine so all of a sudden i get this download and i i wrote back and i said you know what you need to do is you need to take those three nuggets and put three nuggets at the base of three trees and i said it's the 369 that Tesla's talking about. And I'm going like, I don't know what the hell Tesla's talking about. Why am I saying that? <laughs> you know? So then I Googled Tesla 369. And uh, sure enough, it comes up with that article, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is so, this is just really a good piece of literature. And, uh, we'll get more into it. What it, what he says in this thing that was just really pretty amazing, but um, I never got the chance to be able to really dive into it. So I'm glad to know that there are YouTubes involved in it. But this three six nine is one of those. And when you mentioned the fact that you know the people in the olden days they sort of understood the math. You know, it was just yeah, they understood they it. Yeah. Well, that's the way I was when I was a kid. You know, show me geometry or trigonometry or any of it. Just show me what you're trying to do. Show me the the equation and what you think it's supposed to do, and I would know it. 
it was just like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. So I've never had this fascination with mathematics until I met this guy that worked with me in the uh, grenade launching place. And he was from um, Morocco. And one day we were doing some, trying to figure out some mathematical thingy-mahicky, and all of a sudden I'm going, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm doing the math. And I said, what kind of math is that? And he said, oh, this is the math I was taught as a kid. Now, Walt, there was no way that the way that he was getting number answers conformed to anything I could even imagine. <laughs> you know, it was like the Moroccans had a totally different mathematical uh, system. And I don't remember the details of it now. Someplace I wrote it down because it was so amazing. But it wasn't like two and two is four, two times two is four. It wasn't any of that. It was like, well, if you divide this by this, you're going to get that. Even though we would have done it as a multiplication thing, they were using division. And I, I just was like... Is there any, nobody else in the world that knows about this math? Because he would invariably, within three, you know, uh, machinations of the math, get the right answer every time. In a more simplistic way than I could even imagine. It didn't yeah. make any sense to me how he was getting it. So but. it's kind of, so as you can see, your explanation, you're debunking all those who say, Oh, it must have been aliens when they did this because there's no way they could have done that building with such precision without a supercomputer. Well, they didn't need a supercomputer. They knew how to do calculations better. <laughs> they they had a different math, you know. And and I I think I I said to him I said this was the math you were taught in call in high school. He said yes, it was the only math. <clears throat> excuse me, it was the only math we knew. When he got to America and he had to learn this new mathematical system, he didn't. You know, he just let, wouldn't let him see him doing the math that he was doing versus what they were doing. Because, <laughs> you know, I'd run into this, you know, they'd ask a question and I'd give them the answer and they'd go, but how would you get it? And I'd go, uh, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just came to me. <laughs> you know, But it was almost like that with him. So there was a different mathematics. And this is probably another hidden science that, they, that they've got out there, you know. But back to the three, six, and nine. What is it? What is the basics of it? I mean, because let's just talk energy. If we take, we know that if we take the three nuggets and put them together, that something else happens because that curly in photography actually took a snapshot of it. You could see three nuggets of shungite and you could see their field. But then there was a huge secondary field that was tied in like a triangle thing um, between the three of them. And so if you, and I knew this because I'd seen it happening. If you take, a, you know, one of these threesomes and you have another threesome, these threesomes want to reach out to each other, but it always takes that third. So it's like you need three, three, and three to be able to get the, the coherent field of nine. Based on nine, which is mm, and the three, <clears throat> three is the is the base that you need to make the spiral. Because I was thinking, like you said, in, in neurology, the principles of energy, um, and I was thinking of the traditional slim spurling light life ring, 
and it produces you know a tensor field inside the plane of the ring and it produces a perpendicular beam of light but there's a, a limitation in the sense that there is two wires and the organ and the wires are flowing opposite of each other so you're looking at just two vectors so you're looking at what you're looking at you're looking at a flat plane Yes, there's an energy field there. Yes, it's beneficial. You can use it to energize water. You can use it to purify stones. I'm not demeaning it or discrediting in any way, shape, or form. You know, what I do, most of what I do, I've learned from the principles of slim spurling. But that's just it. It's just the two vectors. So when I started thinking of the, uh, the implosion coils, which are the spirals that you see in the photo, like the turpentine spiral or the Shanghai spirit spiral, um, you're actually looking at there's three vectors of flow because you have the flow, uh, centripetal flow toward the center because the way I wire make them, the flow is going toward the center. Then there's the circular flow around the vertical axis. And then there's a, um, a vertical flow around the circular axis of the coil itself. So it creates a field just like the inner tube of a tire or a donut. So you're looking at three vectors of movement. And that's what you need, you know, to get the spiral going. Because uh, a spiral it emerges from where? From the circle. So you have two, two elements. You get a circle. You get a third element. You Now the circle begins to express itself in the third dimension, and it goes out as a spiral. And that's the movement of everything, the planets orbiting the sun are not moving in circles. They're moving in a spiral because the sun itself is traveling through space. So that's why it's the foundation of the reality. Well, the, the, the let, let's just, I, I just want to read this because this was what's, what, it just unbelievably tickled me because it, okay, we, we continually talk about uh, directed energy weapons, and I completely, I continually talk about the fact that um, our situation with the 9/11 event was essentially a. Um, uh, it, 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 it was a DEW that took down the buildings. Okay, and I'd say, well, it's because they set up a, a vibration that was so unbelievably uh, matching the physical molecular structure of the building that it just shook itself apart right and this is supposed dw is supposed to be this new concept and stuff well i'm just going to read this whole thing because it was so in many ways funny this is actually an excerpt from the new york world telegram on july 11th 1935 okay Nikola Tesla revealed that an earthquake which drew police and ambulances to the region of his laboratory at 48 E. Hudson Street, that was where he was in the hotel, I think, in 1898, was the result, well, no, maybe not, because that was 1898, that was later, the New Yorker was later, um, was the result of a little machine he was experimenting with at the time, which you could put in your overcoat pocket. The bewildered newspaper man pounced upon this, at least one thing they could understand, and Nikola Tesla, the father of modern electricity, told what had happened as follows. 
Tesla stead, stated, I was experimenting with vibrations. I had one of my machines going, and I wanted to see if if our ear... Uh, something's missing. Uh, oh, something, a statement's missing. Our ears in another few minutes. Okay, I, I know what it is. The problem is, is I'm not on... Uh, sometimes when you do a PDF, you lose bottoms of the, the pages. No, oh, you want me to go to the article? I hope I have it up here. Probably not. Yeah, you want to go to it and read it? Do you know where it is? Okay, yeah. You I'll just anybody? click on it because I, I have your email and it has the link for it. Oh, well, actually, I have the email up, too. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were at the point where the police and ambulances arrived. I told my assistants to say nothing. We told the police it must have been an earthquake. That's all they ever knew about it. Uh, that's You want me to start from the top, the, uh, if you, well, the paragraph? If you, yeah, if you want. Um, I'm here now. Okay. I can read it if you want me to. Oh, okay, go ahead. Read it. Okay. Um, okay, so vibration will do anything. It would only be necessary to step up the vibrations of the machine to fit the natural vibration of the building, and the building would come crashing down. That's which sol- why soldiers break step crossing a bridge. Okay, now I actually dropped down in front of uh, the, the the paragraph we were screwing with was I was experimenting with vibrations. I had one of my machines going and wanted to see if I could get it in tune with the vibration of the building. I put it up a notch after notch. There was a peculiar cracking sound. I asked my assistants, where did the sound come from? They did not know. I put the machine up a few more notches. Yeah, where's the sound coming from? He doesn't know, but he turns it up higher. I love the guy. Oh, let's just see. Uh, There was a louder cracking sound. I knew I was approaching the vibration of the steel building. I pushed the machine just a little higher. Suddenly, all the heavy machinery in the place was flying around. I grabbed a hammer and broke the machine. The building would have been about our ears in another few minutes. Outside in the street, there was pandemonium. The police and ambulance arrived. I told my assistants to say nothing. We told the police it must have been an earthquake. That's all they ever knew about it. But then, you know, later on he goes talking about it again, and it's this vibration, okay? So on the occasion of his annual birthday celebration interview by the press on July 10th, 1935, in his suite at the Hotel New York, all right, I was right, Tesla announced a method of transmitting mechanical energy accurately with a minimal loss over any terrestrial distance, including a related new means of communication and a method he claimed which would facilitate the unerring location of underground mineral deposits. At that time, he recalled the earth-trembling quake that brought police and ambulances rushing to the scene of his Houston Street Laboratory while the experiment was in progress. Now, one of the things, that, that again, this thing that he could actually look inside the earth, they do that now with this ground-penetrating radar. That's how they do it. They essentially send in a, a, a signal, and when that signal hits, like, gold, okay, it sends back another signal that has a signature of gold, and if it's oil, well, then it's going to do that too. So this guy back in 1935 was talking about things that, you know, we think is new, not new, not new. Well, I and, think his choice of shutting off the machine was deliberate 
the thing with the hammer. What because you, you think about it, he he was a, he was actually playing with the controls of the machine, right? Uh huh. You know, raising it a notch until he hit the sweet spot, the resonant frequency of the entire building. What's to stop him from hitting the power switch or or throwing the dial in another, you know, going back the way it came? There's nothing stopping him. I think he was deliberate in destroying it because immediately he understood the, the potentials. You know, they're going to make, they're going to duplicate this and they can bring down any building they want. He know, probably could have taken, weapon. he could have taken down the city. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is exactly, <clears throat> this is exactly how they took the 9-11 buildings down. That's exactly what it, what, what we're talking about. It's putting up a vibration that, at the molecular level tears them apart you know and and one of the things that and i agree with you walt that he 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 was so astute at what he was doing he was actually because of this this concept of of energies and how you get to a certain point and something else takes off and happens right and mm-hmm. i think that what he realized was that he was in that there's energy there, we we don't really have an appreciation for how much or power or energy energy is out there it's just mind bending and he realized that whatever was in the process of happening that just like you're saying it was not, the the 3d was losing control of it even though it was a machine that was doing it and the only way to stop it was to break the connection which was the machine you know, by smacking it with a hammer. Yeah. Um, um, I, I forget the website where I read it, but I do remember uh, reading an article written about the what happened because I believe that when I'm just trying to grab this. Oh, here it is. For the benefit of our listeners. Okay. Here's a photo of the mechanical oscillator. I'm going to put it in the radio chat. So people can get an, a, a, a visual of what it was, as opposed to trying to imagine what it may have been. <laughs> okay, so this is one picture of the Tesla mechanical oscillator, electromechanical oscillator, because it uh, it had an electromagnet. That's why he was able by adjusting by adjusting the rheostat. Which alters the, the the voltage going into the electromagnet. He's able to adjust. It's all analog. There's this is not the digital age. There are no computers controlling you know digital signals. It's all analog. But if you have an electromagnet and you are able to change the the voltage going into it, you you change the frequency you know more less, and uh, that's what he achieved. Uh, here we go but what I was going to say is that I I remember reading um, that he when he died he was in a hotel I don't remember if it was uh, New York but he uh, he passed in a in a hotel in it was in New a, York. it was a New Yorker it was in, in okay. New York. Okay. And apparently somebody, I, I forget if it was the FBI, but somebody from a government agency showed showed up and confiscated uh, like a, an entire suitcase full of 
plans and blueprints and patents. So all that all that technology, there was all that knowledge that uh, all all his plans and ideas and everything that he had accumulated was apparently was in a suitcase or more than one suitcase. It was it was it was it was in travel trunks. You know, like those uh-huh. big steamship travel trunks. There was many of them, and and there's mm-hmm. there, somebody somebody believes that they didn't get them all. But the thing about it is, is that the man that went through all those papers is a guy by the name of John Trump. It's Donald's uh, uncle. Oh, okay. All right, and so, and of course he the said, got well, he said <laughs> there was nothing of importance in it. Yeah, of course. Okay, but this is this is where it, it, this is why it gets so. I mean, Tesla is just such a central character, and so just think about it. You know, a decade ago, people didn't know who Tesla was until they they had the Tesla car. What's the Tesla? What's Tesla? You know, that's when he began to become sort of renowned, if you will. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. us guys we knew about him, but the vast majority of people. But Tesla is so funny because. When he was in that um, in the, in that hotel, down in the guts of this hotel, there was a huge amount of uh, power generation equipment that had been put in, sort of like as a sale, uh, as, as a point where they were going to run something. Trains, I don't know what it was. It never seemed to have been actually activated for what the purpose that they had it, but he had access to this most amazing power source. I think that's why he stayed in the New Yorker. There's a whole story about that. But back to the John Trump thing. Um, Dolly's wondering, or somebody's asking about um, Tesla and time travel. He certainly, un- yeah, he certainly understood it, Dolly. Um, okay. Did he do it? Well, yeah. Well, let me put it to you this way. This, the real story about behind the Philadelphia experiment has Einstein with Tesla and Newman, who is also, you know, brilliant in his own way, but he was, he's kind of dark. And they started developing this concept of, that ended up in the Philadelphia experiment where the, USS Eldridge disappeared. I mean, it was everybody was there in the harbor, and all of a sudden the thing disappeared. But Tesla knew that the technology was going to rip, uh, uh, put a tear in space and time. And so he sabotaged the original experiment that was done in Brooklyn, in the Brooklyn shipping yards with a much smaller ship. And so they all got there, and they're all ready to do it, and the, the dang thing failed. But Newman suspected, I guess he was suspicious of Tesla, I'm not sure what it was, but in secret, he had had a duplicate made of the same equipment. And Tesla so, did? No, not Tesla, Newman, who was uh, oh, the no. guy that was also there with Einstein and um, Tesla. And so... They did a second one at Brooklyn, which proved that the theory was right, that they, they were getting invisibility. But then they tried on the Eldridge, and <clears throat> the Eldridge not just went invisible, it completely disappeared. And it proved that Tesla was right. Because out of that experiment, what happened was that 
they did breach the time-space continuum. And then you get into Al, Al Bellick. Remember Al Bellick? He mm-hmm. said that he was mm-hmm. on the, he was on the Eldridge. Him and his brother jumped the ship, jumped off the ship when it got all squirrely, and ended up in um, uh, what was it? Twenty years in the future? Was it twenty years? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think yeah. so. I think it was twenty years. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's when they met Newman again, because when. They got picked up by the military, you know, and, and, and they, they're taken to essentially the beginnings of Montauk. And, well, Montauk was already working at that time. And Newman was there, right? The guy that was on the ship. I mean, that was back in the time they had just left. But Newman saw it happen, and Newman realized that Tesla was right. They had ripped a fabric in time. And so that really set into motion the Montauk project that was very much involved in time travel. Um, so the question as to whether or not Tesla actually time traveled in the 3D, you know, I don't think so. But he absolutely had concepts of what it was. And it was proven that the, that what happened was that the Eldridge, okay, in Newport, um Newport, where is it? It's not Rhode Island. No, Newark. The Newark shipping yards, okay? While while it, the experiment, experiment was going on, okay, there was a, two places in time in the future. One of them was at the shipping yard. The other one was in the middle of the Atlantic, and in both cases, while the experiment's going on, the Eldridge was identified as being in a berth in Newark and being seen by a convoy in the middle of the Atlantic. Was that in the same time? The same or was time. That, oh. While, so while, the, it was in two places at the same time? It, it showed up in two different places. It disappeared from Philadelphia, but it, it di- appeared in two different places on the planet at the same time the experiment was being run. Oh, I didn't realize that was at the same time. At the same time. But the thing of it is, is that it, researchers went back and said, well, did the Eldridge ever at any point in time show up in that birth, that particular birth number, whatever it was, uh-huh. and was it ever in the Atlantic to be seen. And they proved that, yes, the it was birthed there at one point, you know, after the Philadelphia experiment, because the Eldridge wasn't even in the inventory when they did this. It was about to be commissioned, and before they got it commissioned, they did this experiment. But after it was commissioned, it did end up in that birth in New York. Newark. And then it also was um, in, at that location in the Atlantic. It did, it was, you know... Uh, a major place that the Eldridge had been. So, you know, but it, 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 the, the guy, I mean, the more you learn about Tesla and what, what, what he knew, and when you realize that the science that he had that they wouldn't pay any attention to after the fact is what's still driving so much of this. These DEW uh, weapons are, are, are obviously based on Tesla. You know, it's it's a phenomenon. Uh, I I just who was this guy? Who, who is this guy? <laughs> where you know? did he come from? And where did he go? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> well, when you, when you, if you, I remember reading the anecdote of when he conceived of alternating electricity, what we use today in our homes, and uh, here's the thing: is that yes, it is important to have dialectic knowledge of something so that you can interpret information when it comes to you. For example, if I were proficient in Mandarin Chinese, someone would come to me and start speaking their ideas, but I would have the knowledge to be able to interpret them. So I would be able to understand, okay, this person is asking me directions how to get to the theater, for example. But just following along those lines, um, the thing with Tesla is that, yes, his technical knowledge was of paramount importance, but it wasn't like knowing a language. It was important so that he could interpret what he was getting because in, in the esoteric field, and my father had a ton of esoteric books. And when I ask Dr. Costa about it, he says, yes, it does exist. Um, that, you, you know, when you do a shamanic journey and you go into other realms uh, in the books they document, there's a place, I don't know if it's an astral place or an etheric place, and they call it the Hall of Inventions. And I've only seen it once in a shamanic journey, and I didn't, thankfully I didn't bring anything back because everything is everything that has been, is, and will be is there. And if you have the technical knowledge to interpret what you're seeing, you can actually bring it back. And that's exactly what he did because when he was... He was, uh, the way I remember reading the story, he was in a park and he was walking with a friend and they were in a conversation and all of a sudden he's walking with a friend and I think it was the friend who was talking, but all of a sudden in front of him he sees these uh, rotating magnetic fields and he gets a notion of an electromagnet rotating and going over, you know, the necessary uh, coils that would grasp this. So as soon as he got home, he sat down and he made a sketch. So because uh, of his intense and very intuitive technical knowledge, he saw this vision and he was able to materialize it. He was able to sit down and make it into something workable. So uh, what I'm trying to get to is that the a lot of what he made Yes, of course, there's no way that you can question his intelligence or his genius, but it's not an invention based on knowledge. It's something that was grasped and channeled and made into what it was because he, he pulled it in from the higher dimension, from where it already exists. So Well, Ed, no, I, Ed, Edison would do the same thing. Yeah, he would you know, go into his divan and, and go to sleep. He'd go to sleep, he'd go to sleep <laughs> and he'd wake up. And Now, he made a lot of failures. Edison said that, yeah. you know, he every failure taught him what not to do. Um, but, you know, very often he would just get a certain, to, you know, it's almost like he had enough information. Now he's got to put it together, right? And so he'd yeah. take a nap and he'd come back and he'd know. And Tesla, on the other hand, just seemed to know. And why why I, I'm kind of like interested in this, why I'm being led to this, I think, is because I think that this same process of just knowing is, like you say, a gift that human beings have. 
Yeah, I mean, everybody we, has it. We we think only a few, select few, have it, and that's not true. <laughs> it's 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 exactly. It, what he would do is he would pay attention to the imaginings, and then build something from what he saw. He but, which one, Edison or Tesla? Tesla. Tesla. Okay. Well, Edison would Tesla too. Tesla didn't need to but, go to sleep. He was he was seeing things wide awake. Oh, he never slept. Tesla. Which one, Tesla? Tesla hardly ever slept. They said that he didn't sleep more than a couple to four hours a day. Oh wow! So the guy was sleep deprived. Yeah. <laughs> which meant which meant that his 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 three D brain was too tired to put in all the the talk. In my opinion, that he had a clear brain. Well, because- unless he was from a different place and didn't need that much sleep. Well, that's true, but I think that I, I don't, I don't want to underestimate the fact that we have people out there showing us potential potentials that we have. You know, we want to say, well, he must have been attacked. The ETs must have been telling him the, you know, he must. Maybe not. Maybe this isn't because, Dolly, some of the some of the stuff that they were able to do with these buildings that they can't explain how they were built because they they were using sound to move them it's okay i was just throwing that out there no i know <laughs> that but i mean i don't i think that we're, what's happening is that as we get into this area uh, and, we, and we need to talk about that too the um uh, that veil in the middle of the, the solar system that one that started us on in the email walt um oh. but well, it's not in the solar system. It's actually, it spans the galaxy. It's light uh, years The galaxy, ago. yes. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. Um, but I think that, that a lot of this knowledge that as we get into the, this area, the proton belt, or this area where we've got more and more energy, and we know that our DNA is changing, there's, it happens every 25,000 so much years that we go through this area with this excess amount of energy that then causes us to accelerate a development with the planet and with the animals and with the people. And that every, and it's sort of like it is that spiral thing because there's also, it, the indigenous peoples almost always have part of their, their concept of reality is a black sun. They were always talking about a black sun. I kept going, what What are they talking about? Well, it turns out that there is a black sun in the middle of every galaxy, i.e. a dark, a black hole. Or, you know, but I think when they say the black sun, they, they see this. They had seen this. They knew it. Who are they? The indigenous people that don't have any technical oh. knowledge at all. Okay. That That is part of who we are. But... Over the you know millennia, they've been able to to tell us we don't know this stuff. Why is it that I can look at something and say, "Gee, Walt, I'm seeing you know that there's uh, six fullerenes in this 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 piece of nugget." You know how how do I have that ability? You know, I think it's an ability we all have that we have superpowers, and we get people like Tesla who come along and they just. Are, you know, but he was sleep deprived. So his brain didn't have all of the, the, the chatter in it. And he didn't, he wasn't a social guy. He didn't go out and, you know, 
date and drink and all that. That wasn't him. So if if you can clear your mind out, you might be like Tesla. Well, and the thing is that it's another confirmation of what Anastasia says in the Maigret books, that man has access to all the knowledge in the universe. It just depends on what you're tuning into. In the case of Tesla, he's tuning into all this technology. There are other examples throughout history. For example, uh, one of my mother's cousins is an orchestra conductor in Argentina. So he's been playing music, performing music, composing music for decades. And he told me a little bit about the story of about the history of Mozart, for example. And he says that, you know, Mozart was taught music by his father because his father was a, a musician and a music teacher. And the father was astounded because when the little boy started writing music, because Mozart would always say when he would sit down and write music, it was already finished in his head. That's the way that he would say. Uh, he noticed that the boy had no errors in harmony. When he would sit down and write, the piece was already done because many times when you see composers working on a piece, they go back and they correct because you know music is not only about sound, it's also about timing. And sometimes there are errors and syncopation and all the things that have to do with music. And they go back and they edit their work until the piece comes out the way they intended. That's not the case with Mozart. When he would, it was like he wasn't composing. He was just pulling out, out, out of the ether. It was already finished. All he, he had the knowledge to tune into that, the same way that you grab your radio and you can tune into this station that has classic music or you turn on, tune into that station that has rock and roll oldies, is the same thing. We have that power in us to tune in. Okay, what is it that you want to learn about? What is it that you want to study? Okay, tune into it with complete conviction, zero, zero doubt that you, and you get it because that's the way the way of a law of attraction works. The problem is, uh, if I tune into something I have no translation for, like if I tune <laughs> into something I've never touched, a discipline I've never seen, the knowledge will come to me, but I have no way of translating it into my reality because I don't have the basis. That's that's where education comes in. So Mozart was able to pull it out and manifest it, put it on paper, because his father taught him music. He had the language with which to interpret this data stream. And here, you know, Tesla had all this technical education and knowledge, so he was able to interpret the, that stream of information and bring it into the material world. And the same thing goes for everything else. If you, if you, if you have the, the language to understand what you're looking at, then you can pull whatever you want out of the vacuum, out of the quantum field, and bring it into the reality. So they pulled it out knowingly. They pulled it out on purpose. I think so, too. Plus, Tesla was altruistic because his drive was always to you know, help the world and help humanity and give people free power. He was never moved by money. Unfortunately, when you look at the historical context of the time where he lived, eh, you know, the cabal is running 99% of the planet and everything is money and everything is corruption. And, and every, you know, worse than now, because back then everything was practically an absolute secret. Now all the crap is coming to the surface for people to see and appreciate and evaluate. <laughs> to me, it's fascinating because I just feel like I feel 
I feel like we're on the brink of something really, really, really big. And it's going to happen in the people. I already see it in the animals. You know, I, I, you didn't hear this, but maybe, well, Dolly probably did. This um, woman wrote us in uh, Facebook because she had just gotten the shungite. She was had it all, you know, around the house, and she had put it where the cat likes to lay, and you know, and uh, she gets a telephone call, and she's brand new to shungite. She gets a telephone call, and it's a telemarketer, and so she decides that she's going to um, try to reason with a telemarketer, <laughs> and, and she's like, you know, you're. you're, you're this is my privacy. I don't want you using my phone. And the guy was kind of getting belligerent, and you know. And she said that she notices her, her cat. She started watching the cat, and the cat gets up and starts doing something. She's not sure what. And then he comes over to her, and he gets right in front of her, and he spit out three shungite nuggets. What a statement. This guy needs shungite. You need shungite. You're getting upset, you know. But it was like the, the animal knew. Okay, another another cat. The woman again. A new these new people are just really funny because they they come up with some stories. This 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 new thing, you know. And she knows. Okay, I'm supposed to put three nuggets in the in the cat's dish. Okay, so she does. And then a little bit later, she looks at the bowl, glances at it, and she notices that one of the nuggets is on the outside of the bowl. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. And she, so she goes to put it back in the bowl and then realized there were three nuggets in the bowl. She had put four instead of three, but the cat knew how, knew the difference. <laughs> I mean, well, how do you explain this, you know? Well, look at the bees. Who told them it was good? That instead of pushing it out and cleaning their hive, they actually walk all over it. Nobody taught. What school did they go to to learn? No school. Well, maybe it, maybe this young guy talked to him and they heard it like I hear Mr. Turtle, Mr. Spiral. Speaking of it. Mr. Turtle, well, Mr. Turtle is wonderful. He... When I was in the water today in the pool, the water felt like silk. It it just, it felt like silk. I was all wrapped up in silk, and you know how soft that is. He's just fantastic. Thank you for making Mr. Turtle. Nancy, it sounds like we should get royalties for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> Well, congratulations, uh, Dolly, for having, like, the best pool in Florida. <laughs> yes, I agree. I said to, I think it was, I don't even know who it was, but I said, someday there's going to be an institute that all it does is study Shungite, and I want to enroll. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There are so many different things about it. But, no, the the um, the concept of three... When, when, okay, because everybody, well, not everybody, but the, the, the concept of the Shungite grid and how people are putting their, their places and where they've been with the Shungite on the maps, you know, mm-hmm. it's very, very popular. And 
Derek has now developed this little glass thing. It's real small, but it's got shungite in it. And I suppose he's probably got a... I don't know what he's charging for. Probably not much. Um, and he's, he's telling people, take this, go to the go to the ocean. And as this tide is going out, throw it. We're going to put these new bottles, <laughs> you know, bottles and uh, message in a bottle. And in the in the in the in the little capsule is water, because he 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 said he started the conversation talking about a new organ device based on water. I said, "What are you talking about?" So he's got the metal in there. He's got the uh, he's got um, granules, uh, you know, the bigger pieces of powder, the bigger type of powder, and then the powder and S four powder. And um, he's probably thrown in some of that silver cosmic silver powder. And you didn't say it, but I, he, he, he always puts a couple grains in everything. And also, um, uh, uh, those little round eye hooky thing. Well, it's a stainless steel he's getting in there for the organ movement. And, you know, the idea of just going out and throwing these things in the water is really neat. But when you're on ground, when you're in the ground, you know, on putting things out, I, I think you should always put them out in threes. You put a pile of threes and you do it three times. Because I, I just, it, it's, it's like, what, you know how you get things in your head? You know, three, six, nine, three, six, nine, you know? And basically now they're doing three, nine, three, nine, three, nine, you know? And so that seems to be a real marker of coherent field. And if you're, you're doing this, then you're essentially asking the tree and the shungite weave to make even even a more powerful connection. Do you understand that, what I'm saying there, Walt? And Dolly, too. Dolly would understand that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, it also goes back to explain... Why is it that a pinch of powder is far, far more powerful than a five-ton boulder of shungite? How many threes do you have in there when you have millions and millions of particles? Right, and that, and, and, and every time you make these connections, it's it's influencing the other dimensions, the other layers of energies. It it, it has to. You know, by the concept of resonance and and vibrational, and it's and it's filling the the collective consciousness because um, precisely, Dr. Costa gave an example of it when he was teaching the fifteen step process. Um, he told the story of the very first experience of it when he was uh, doing a transpersonal hypnotherapy session with a patient, and the patient experienced the the fifteen step staircase. So he said, okay, go ahead and go up the stairs. And at the top of the stairs, this woman found her spiritual guides. And he says that was the very first experience. But in the beginning, because so very few people have done it, maybe this one lady here, another person there, um, it really took a while to get the person in that uh, state of consciousness to get them to experience it correctly. He says, but as more and more people did it, they're putting the knowledge and the awareness of it in the collective. So by the time I attended the workshop, it was very easy. It was fairly easy to get to the 15th step and to witness the stair, and you could describe the stair, because since so many people had done it, 
it's already part of the data database. It's now in the collective. So you you tune into what it's being explained to you, and you can just grab it because it's already there. So that's all it takes is one person to be you know the beginning, you know to start the ball rolling, and then as more people get into it, they're feeding the collective with this awareness. And as soon as you you say the word Shanghai, then they're thinking, oh Shanghai, what? Oh, and that's it. All the all those orbs of information are just flowing to them because they're in the collective. It's not like nobody is doing it. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I look at, well, let's, let's, we're at the top of the hour. So let's just take a break here. But when we come back, let's talk about the hundredth monkey. Uh, Derek and I talked about it, but I think that, that we want to talk about, uh, that's why I'm, they talk about the hundredth monkey. Okay. I'll talk about the hundredth monkey. We'll be right back. Let's take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Yes, folks, Mystical Wares is where the Jedi Knights shop when they have their annual field trip to planet Earth. After annihilating battalions of stormtroopers and blowing up the Death Star, they deserve an all-out shopping spree, and their supplier of choice is Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, an oasis of light in an otherwise dark universe. I spoke to Master Yoda the other day and asked him, where he buys his shungite. He replied, Tell you I will, and not belabor. Mystical wares. I also pick up spare parts for my light saber. So there you have it, folks. If it's good enough for Master Yoda and the Jedi elite, it's certainly good enough for the rest of us. Mystical wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. I am Ani. Mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was a Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, my darlings, get involved in local politics, learn to identify the dirty tricks within the matrix, and above all, let the spirit inhabit the human. And welcome back to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, April 23rd, 2019. My name's Nancy Hopkins. With me is Walter Silver. Walter Silver. <laughs> what are they? Walt Silver. I got a piece of candy in my mouth. I'm sorry, Walter. I've kept him on mute so he can't talk back to me. I'm unmuting you now. Hi, Dolly. <laughs> and Dolly Howard is with us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Walt. Walt Silver. <laughs> Walter Silver is a, is a singer, or maybe oh my God, that was too funny. Years there ago, is a Walter Silver. Oh my God, yes. Oh, <laughs> somehow or another, somehow or another, I tripped over a singer on YouTube that's named Walt Silva, and <laughs> he's a Spanish guy. Yeah, uh, talking about love and mama, and oh my goodness. And I guess maybe, well, I don't know, you might, you might not remember, but on one of the shows, at the break time, I played this, this, this song. I thought it was hysterical, but I don't think Walt thought it was quite as funny. Oh. Is that what you were playing during the break? I, because I wasn't here during the break? Not, no, not this time, but, you know, this was oh. like a couple of years ago. Oh. I'll try to find it so I can play it for Dolly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm chewing this candy because I can't keep walking, trying to get rid of it. 
<laughs> All right, it's gone. Now I'm washing it down. What kind of candy was it? This orange thing. <laughs> oh. It was. I had to put the um, get the cat's bowl ready for him because the food's cold, so it needs to be warm before I serve it to him. Oh <laughs> my gosh! So I had to put it in the bowl and then. And while I was there, the, the candy was just saying, hey, don't you want me? And I'm going, yeah, sure. And then I put my mouth and I went, oh, wait a minute, I'm on radio. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she spoils her cats or anything, but she warms their food. <laughs> no, I don't warm it. I just take it out of the refrigerator so that it's room temperature. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> warming it. No, 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 no. These cats that you didn't want that you just love to piece this now. <laughs> well, he, yesterday the yard guy was here and um, he had to work out where their catio is. Yeah. They were not happy campers. Oh, they, no. Because they couldn't be in their catio. So, <laughs> and I think that they didn't get enough running around about there or whatever because this morning I hear this crash and I go back there and they, they tore that room apart. They dumped over a big carrier of theirs that you could put a small dog in that just happens to be there. How they dumped that over, I don't know. But anyway, so today they've been, it's been a beautiful day here. And oh, it's yeah. gorgeous here. Yeah. Yes. So they've been out there almost all day. I gave the dog a bath the other day and they were just sitting there watching me. I mean, they probably have done it before. I just didn't notice them, you know. But this time I noticed them, and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what they're saying. Oh, what's she doing? To, oh, what's she doing to that dog? I think they call it washing. She's not going to do it to us. And I so <laughs> kept myself amused while I washed the dog, thinking about what the cats were talking about. <laughs> you have to exercise your imagination. If you don't exercise your imagination, right. you won't be able to... Build things that cause earthquakes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like our friend I exercise mine all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Tesla. My gosh, that, that guy just—he's uh, so much fun. But I, it, I, it's going to be because you know at one point um, Donald Trump made a statement regarding um, someday that that w- everything would change. Like virtually overnight because of the technology that's really available. He actually alluded to technology that, you know, probably his Uncle John told him about. Is, is this before or after he started with uh, 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 supposedly supporting the 5G? Oh, no, this was when he was still not even presidential candidate, I don't think. Oh, okay. Just wondered. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing there. I don't either. I listened to some guy on a um, what a, a video uh-huh. talking about that, why Trump is supporting 5G and why it's not a bad thing. And the guy kept saying certain words over and over and over, which I've forgotten now. And he never did say, at least I don't think he ever said, why he thought Trump was saying that. And it, it was just, a, I just, it was irritating. And then when I got done listening to it, I thought, why the heck didn't you just turn that sucker off? 
uh, I thought about sending it to you, but to see what you thought about it. But then I thought, oh no, I, I bet he'll drive Nancy crazy too. Well, I, I will. Hypnotizing, huh? <laughs> one thing. One thing we do need to talk about, Walt. Um, our friends over at Purple Power and their C60 lab stuff. Mm. You know, we basically left them alone. But somebody sent me a what? what oh, oh, it was a, a, a video. I think it was one of uh, Sarah Westall's videos. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it was. And this guy, Ken, a scientist Ken, I think they call him. I don't know. Yeah, Mr. Shorts. Right. He was um, talking about how Shungite is his, his C60 will protect them from from uh, 5G. Okay. <laughs> what? Yeah. And is he serious? Oh yes, yes. Oh, uh, so so, uh, and she, thank God, said, you know, this is where I want you to listen now, thirty-four minutes in or something. Um, and so I'm, I go there, and the first thing he says is, um, "Well, you know, the, this five G, if it's really bad, well, then the telecommunication companies will all be sued." And apparently, he doesn't know that a they can't be sued, and b the insurance companies won't pay. For any damage, health damage done because of Wi-Fi, radio, radio frequency, any of it. Excursion, uh, 34, is it 34? 32. And it's in every one of your, uh, health, uh, insurance policies now. So apparently he didn't know that. And so, okay, so then the next point was, I don't even remember what it was, but it was, it was likewise, oh yes, um, and, and any kind, and, and if you got too close to it, the only thing that would happen is that you would have minor skin burn. Mm, uh, that's that, uh, non-ionizing BS that they have, you know. Well, it's non-ionizing, so it won't go beyond your skin. Not true. Um, but then, <laughs> then he said, let me see if I can get this right because it, it kind of like doesn't want to stay in my mind. It's so weird. He said that if you took, you know that stuff that they put on windows of cars that block out the light? You know that film yeah. stuff? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the polarizing film. Right. That if you put that in front of you that you won't be hit with uh, 5G. Oh, jeez. So he's making suits out of it? So you walk around like, I, a, like an astronaut? You know, and, and, and meanwhile, I'm about to projectile vomit <laughs> just because it's such BS and because I don't like the energy off of any of that purple power stuff. And so um, I went back to the person and I said, well, I only got very short wet boy in it, but I'm not going to puke. So I'm not going to listen to it because I don't want to puke. And this is the three things that he's already said that are absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> So, people, if you are hearing that C60 is going to protect you from 5G, no. Sorry. Nothing's going to protect you from 5G. We're actually doing a show on uh, Wednesday at noontime, myself and Michael uh, Henry Dunn. And um, Mark Steele is coming back from Britain because what's happening is that Supposedly educated, knowledgeable people 
are continuing to make these claims that are absolutely bogus. And so I said, Mark, would you come on and we'll, we'll take on the claims that are, you know, the, the, the mainstream media is pushing. They're trying to push it to people so that people think, oh, it's not. These people are crazy that think this is going to kill us. It's not going to kill us. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so anyway, we're going to it should be a very good show. And um, and that is tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yep. On Radio 5G, but you get that by going to um, 5GKNOW.com, dash, no, 5GNO.com, or you go to Cosmic Reality Radio and you drop down where it says radio, just hover over it and it drops down a list and you'll see 5G Radio. Or it is from noon to 2, right? Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time, right. Yep, thank you. You're welcome. And it'll be in the archives. All our archives from last week are up, by the way. Um, yeah, it's the 5G thing is a very, but it's also, I mean, there's so many other things that that are occurring at the same time. It's not just the 5G. Um, Robert Kennedy's getting much more vocal. I mean, out there in than he used to be. He's, he was always vocal. He was always talking about pharmaceutical, you know, terrible, terrible stories about what the vaccines and pharmaceutical companies do. But maybe he's gotten too old to feel, or gotten old enough that he feels like he's not going to die young. Because he's out there in their faces. You know, he, Robert Kennedy Jr. He, he actually went out in a press conference recently and said to Monsanto, um, some very, very libelous and damning things if he was lying. And he said, you know, he said, come on, sue me. Come on, sue me. <laughs> you know, because you think, you know, you know you can't. What I'm telling you is the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, then back in, uh, in um, I think it was first of the year, not that we're that far from the first of the year, but he went out and he started talking about the pharmaceutical companies, and you know, uh, let me let me just take the time to give him the respect to read this. He said, "Those of you who have been involved in the past in the battle to protect our children from poorly made vaccines or to- toxic chemicals in our food or in our water, know the power of these industries and how they have undermined every institution in our democracy that is supposed to protect little children from powerful." greedy corporations. Even the pharmaceutical companies have been able to purchase Congress. They're the largest lobbying entity in Washington, D.C. They have more lobbyists in Washington, D.C. than there are congressmen and senators combined. They give twice to Congress what the next largest lobbying entity is, which is oil and gas. Imagine the power they exercise over both Republicans and Democrats. They've captured them our regulatory agencies, and turn them into sock puppets. They've compromised the press, and they destroyed the publications that publish real science. You know, I mean, it's like people are really stepping up in, in, in so many different areas and pushing back now. And again, it's another indication that I think we've passed the 100th monkey. I heard a program just yesterday saying how they're putting 
they're running out of the the pure drug stuff, and so they're putting poison in our drugs now that are prescription drugs. What are you laughing about? <laughs> you can't see the comedy of it. <laughs> they're replacing one poison with another poison. Oh, come on, that's that's hilarious. Oh. I didn't see that. <laughs> it's it, it's insane, but it's it's just looking more insane to more and more people. So I think, and the hundredth monkey thing um, is basically the a three D manifestation that showed us when two hundred miles away, two the same species of monkey on the same day began to w- wash potatoes. But that was because there was British scientists watching them, and they washed the potatoes because the British were washing the potatoes. And on another island 200 miles away, the Japanese scientists looking at the same monkeys, and they didn't know about the other one. This is back in the 60s. Um, they were eating rice, so they didn't even get into washing the, tom- the potatoes. But one day, all of a sudden, all the island monkeys in the Japanese island just started washing potatoes. And in the... It was when the British pu- published their research paper that the Japanese realized what, what, why that happened. Um, but it was the hundredth monkey. And the reason that I brought that, that up to right now, Walt, was for a lot of reasons, but because, uh, you were the one, remember when we were doing that thing with Dolly, something with Dolly, and you said that 40,000 40, other people had changed their yeah. frequency because of that? And yeah, I, yeah. that, that changed the experience impacted at least that's the number that I got forty thousand people. Well, I checked with my guides and I got the same thing that that's true. It's about forty forty thousand. Uh-huh. It's some mathematical thing, probably based on three six and nine. <laughs> 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 but um, you know, so if you take forty thousand and you realize that one person who gets it, you know, and makes a a, a frequency change actually cause a frequency change due to 3D resonance, never mind anything concerning real, you know, quantum or dimensional energies. This is just, you know, basic 3D neurology that, boom, the thing started to to just mushroom out. 40,000 every time somebody has done this. You, you can see why, you know, the 100th monkey syndrome could be well underway. I just think we're going to wake up, you know, in a very short period of time. And the thing is that there's, you know, to add more confirmation to what you're saying is the fact that uh, Anelia Benz in her book interview with a psychic assassin, that is exactly the role the psychic assassin was given to play. Her job was to scan the collective. And it didn't matter where in the world the person was. As soon as she started noticing somebody waking up from the masses, her job was to assassinate that person because that one person waking up was going to impact thousands of people around him or her. That was her job to keep, you know, keep the herd sleep. And she gave that she gave that job up. So, if if that were not true, why train somebody to do specifically that? Think about it. You know, isn't that a waste of time and energy just killing random people that are waking up? They don't matter. It's just one in a million or a billion. Because they matter. They matter so much, we have to get rid of them. 
Well, that that's that, that's what I think is so very very interesting about the internet, and you know, having the ability like we do to just talk about anything we want, and to put it out there in our own consciousness, which then bleeds into the, to the subconscious and the super consciousness, and it just you know, it's 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 like a a virus of thought, a thought form that keeps growing bigger and bigger because more and more people, you know, n- know about Shanghai, for instance, you know. Know about Tesla. Know about you know. We're just growing in leaps and bounds, and the people that come to us now on the Facebook uh, Shungite Reality, the group, they're doing some amazing things. Not like you do, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're but they're getting there. They're they're using their intuition. Well, did you ask your group if what I got was accurate or was it just imagination on my part? On that email that I sent you regarding Shanghai and what it is, you get confirmation. Well, y- get- yeah, yes, yes, it's confirmation, but it's one of those. Okay, the question. What was the question you asked me? Well, t- to tell them what the statement was, and, and you were questioning its validity. Well, the the thing is that um, many times when I'm, I'm working on a subject and I want to know more or learn more or something, I'll go to sleep repeating an affirmation or a question or, or something that pertains to that. So it's a it's a really basic practice and over over the years it has helped me because it either induces a lucid dream where I'll get information about what I'm trying to find out and uh, or a regular dream and then I'll start researching if it's what I saw or heard is true or not. So I did that. It wasn't specific about Shungite. But in the morning when I woke up, I realized that I was like talking under my breath saying, uh, Shungite is the goo of the galaxy. And I thought, why am I saying this? So then I pulled out the pendulum and asked the question, you know, is it? And just because I asked, I, 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 the concept itself didn't, this makes no sense to me, and, but I do know that just like Earth is a living being, I know the galaxy is a living being. So I grabbed the pendulum and the chart and I said, well, the Earth possesses a fluid, an intelligent fluid that's part of her body, and humans call it black goo. Is Shanghai the goo of the galaxy? So what, What's goo? Uh, we've had radio shows where we've talked about it extensively. There are parts in the world where scientists that don't have the best of intentions have extracted from very great depths in the earth a substance that looks like petroleum, you know, oil, the, what gets what gets drilled to make you know fuel for cars and whatnot, and they call it black goo because it's not exactly. Oil and the thing is that it is intelligence. It is conscious. It does react to. So you're saying goo, G O O. Exactly. Oh, I thought yes. you were saying G O A L. I apologize. No, 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 that's that's what they call it. So that's so. I'm asking the question uh, with you know with the pendulum and the chart. I said you know, the Earth possesses this black fluid that belongs to her. That's conscious and aware and it's part of her body does you know does the galaxy have something akin to that and I got yes well is Shanghai 
the because the thing is that the the galaxy, the same way that you have petroleum under the Earth, the galaxy itself has gigantic clouds of dust. They call it, you know, cosmic dust. They're so vast and so large. They're light years across. And it's the reason why on Earth you can see the arms of the galaxy, but you can't, with the naked eye, see the center of the galaxy because you should be able to see, you know, you have the center that's chock full of stars. At night, in a clear sky in the mountain, you know, where there's no smog, you should be able to see this big clump of stars somewhere in the sky, you know, that's the center of the galaxy, but we can't. We don't. We see the arm of the galaxy, but where the center should be, there's just a few stars sprinkled here and there, and that's because there's a gigantic cloud of dust, they call it cosmic dust, between us and the galactic center. And there are scientists that have spent a lot of time researching it and analyzing it. Fred Hoyle with um, Chandra Wickamasinghe, an Indian scientist, wrote a book called Life Cloud. Uh, at the time that they did this, they were not aware of fullerenes. So when they did a spectroscopic analysis of the cloud, they found huge chains of uh, carbon. So in their lack of knowledge, they interpreted that they were seeing this the um, signature of cellulose. So they were reasoning that the materials of life have not sprung up from the primordial soup of Earth. There's a very uh, great chance that it came up in interstellar, interstellar space because here they are detecting these huge chains of carbon in this cloud. So all of this information led me to ask, so if the galaxy has this, is this the equivalent of the black goo on Earth? Is So is Shankite goo of the galaxy? And I got a yes. So I said, okay, I'd better check with Nancy, see what she gets, and I'm not well, my imagination or something else. <laughs> um, do you have a you have a picture of that so that they can – do you know, it's within well, the email, the, if you can post the, that. That one that I sent you is one cloud, but it's not the cloud – Ah. The cloud, whether you whether you don't realize it or not, I mean, for those people that have been able to uh, see uh, the arm of the galaxy on very clear nights, or someone who lives uh, far away from cities where there's very little smog, and you can actually see the stars. Uh, when you look up, you can you can see the arm of the galaxy extending. I've seen it when I when I've been in southern hemisphere. But where the center should be, you don't. You don't see it. It's like, you know, where's the center? You know, why? There's an arm of the galaxy here. You can see it. It's, it practically spans the sky. But where's the center? And the thing is, um, the first time I read about this was in the book One, Two, Three, Infinity by a scientist named George Gamal. Uh, it's a really fascinating book, and it's made up of a multitude of the different chapters deal with different things. And in one specific chapter, he talks about the cosmic dust cloud that doesn't let us see the center of the galaxy with the naked eye. You can see the center of the galaxy with infrared telescopes and radio telescopes, and they have you know images of it, but not with the naked eye, not with a telescope. And it turns out that um, 
when I had that shamanic journey that I wanted to see, okay, how did Shanghai originate and why is it only one place on earth? That's the information that I got. It did not form on earth. It formed in interstellar space and it was precipitated and brought to the earth. Who did it or how or what intelligence? I, I don't know. And that's why it's, it's so prevalent in just one spot on the earth. It should be like silicon. There's not a single spot anywhere in the earth where there is no silicon. It's so abundant. It's all over the earth, but not this thing. <laughs> well, yeah, to, 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 to answer your question regarding, you know, what I saw, it, it's, it's, the, 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 yes, the answer is sort of yes, but oh. it, it, um, you use the word shungite, okay, and oh. it's not, it's not so much that shungite is, it's that, that, that meshing, that, that, that carbon that comes in, okay, that cosmic carbon mm. that's sitting there, you know, mm. the shungite came out of that. But Correct, and it also would explain to me, in, in my mind, it explains why you can't use it for harmful work, negative work, because that's exactly what happened with the Google of Earth. When they tried to weaponize it, the people trying to committed suicide in the weirdest ways, it protected itself, and we see that in in Shanghai. You can't use it for black magic or try to uh, hurt someone or control someone. I well, you have to have a heart frequency that will even turn it on, in my opinion. Exactly. You know, but the the reason why it, it, Shanghai is specific to Earth because Shanghai took a specific route to get to Earth, and every route is different. Every route pulls in different cosmic energies. Mm -hmm. But the basic fundamental structure, that carbon, what did you, sheets of carbon, it's like, it's fullerenes, okay, it's the C60s. Well, and it's actually the C70s and some of the others too. But this, this, this pocket of these fullerenes is, is like a 3D, mm, it's almost like it's a 3D version of the quantum. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so prevalently locked in, in the center of the galaxy. Every galaxy has the same sort of situation. But they're all going to be slightly different once they leave. It's a perfect molecule. When it leaves, it's perfect. But as it goes through the cosmos and it picks up other dust and other things, and you know, it goes to Earth and it's specifically Shungite now. You're not going to find Shungite on Mars. You're not going to find Shungite anyplace else. So you might find versions very close to it. But that special uniqueness of Shungite is unique to the galaxy and the universe, just like each and every one of us are. So that was what they they really wanted to get across to me. Oh, you know, okay. But, Which would make sense. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, It's this, yeah, and, bec and so when, when, when you, because I mean, the, the Shungite's got everything in the periodic table that you need to build everything. That's the basic thing that they sent, you know. And I do believe that it was the consciousness of Gaia that said, "I want to do more." And you know how the universe is. You want yeah, to do more? Well, okay, here it is. Here you got, and, and this comes about from understanding that you know. 
when we go out there and we're trying to spread Shungite, we run into people that just don't have the faintest ability to comprehend what we're saying to them. It's not their fault. It's just the way that they're, you know, been programmed. So what you want to do is you still want to put them in a, let's say, a beneficial environment where all of the things that they would need to become energetically together again is there, is to think of them in a Shungite fullery. And then leave it up to their soul or themselves whether they access that or not. So you're not essentially, you know, dishing the free will concept. You're just making an environment that is going to be, you know, conducive to getting yourself healthy. And you don't have to know what's happening. It's just there. It's a decision by you and your soul whether to, but the energies are all there. Because how many times have, you know, somebody really had an energetic healing when they got a stone? Well, it's because mm-hmm. that energy wasn't in their, their, their bioelectromagnetic field. They needed that energy. And that's why Shungite has such a, an amazing universal appeal because it's got every single energy. I mean, that's not just me or you saying this. This is also Andrew Bartz's, who, you know, read the Which cut. is absent in laboratory-made crap. Exactly. It has, be, it has to be said out loud because it's the truth. It's not being made up. It, this, the laboratory-made stuff, the same thing goes, <clears throat> I think I mentioned it in the previous show. Um if you buy laboratory-made vitamin E, the body doesn't absorb it. That's why you have to watch out when you look at the ingredients. Vitamin E is, the technical name is D-alpha-tocopherol. It ends with an O-L. That's natural. D-alpha-tocopheryl, I-L, is laboratory-made, and you're just wasting your time because your body is going to expel it the same way you you took it in. It does not break it down. It's just not accepted. Uh uh, vitamin E, when you do a litmus test on natural vitamin E from a lemon or an orange, it makes a perfect starburst image on, on, on the sensitive paper, the litmus paper. When you do the same test with laboratory-made vitamin C, nothing. It just makes uh, an, a blotch that does, doesn't have any specific shape. It's just a deformed blotch because vitamin C contains the energy of the sun. So... The same thing, your laboratory made fullerenes, they're just empty cans. Cans empty, there's nothing in them. They were born, birthed in a laboratory. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it also goes to um, understanding the concept of the quantum entanglement. You know, because they've gotten so smart, they started to, uh, well, they found some scientists that are looking at how many fullerenes are actually in in Shungite. And, oh, there's not many of them. When did you first hear me talking about that, Walt? <laughs> Gee, well, there's not very many of them in there. Um, but you don't need the fullerene in every nugget because they're tied together at this really quantum... <laughs> They're still tied to that field, that dust thing that we can't see the rest of the. Who knows what's on the other side of it, Walt? Just because we mm-hmm. see, we can see so far to this, you know, this thing that stops our vision. We don't know that the galaxy goes on beyond that. Maybe that's the end of the uni- the galaxy for us. 
Maybe there's something else on the other oh, side. Oh, wow. Are you saying we're living on a flat galaxy? Exactly. Well, I don't know if I... will fall off? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, of it, I, I think of it as a doorway. <laughs> Uh-oh. See what you did? You woke up, darling. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, Are we you can... saying we got, we're living on a flat Earth? No, 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 no. no, no. He was making a joke. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Oh. All right, I can go back to sleep. <laughs> no, no, stay, stay awake, okay? Because, um, what time is it? Well, we have time to read Fulford. If you, if do you upset Dolly when you sent her that Fulford thing? <laughs> oh, you're such a tattletale. <laughs> no, I thought you guys would appreciate how it's funny that he has a different take. I mean, I, I know you guys, and I trust that you've seen what you've seen from the other side about what the attack, who was doing the attacking on, on why. So I don't question that at all. But I found it interesting that he had a different take on it, but the result is the same. I thought that was interesting that he has another take, that is the bad guys who did it, but the result is the same. They You're talking about the Notre Dame attack. Exactly. Oh. The result is the same. They end up shooting themselves in the foot. Okay, I, I, I want you, I want you to can, can you go and look and see where that part is? We don't need to hear the rest of it because we we really Hold are. Okay, but yeah. I want I want to say something to you because I don't know if you saw it or not. And Dolly, I don't know if you saw it or not. But you know where I showed you guys, and it's actually in the promo from last week when we discussed it about the. Um, and Walt thought it looked like the um, <clears throat> Black Knight, which I agree with, but it it came out in was there for three minutes, and then the fire starts. And this is absolutely, positively, you were questioning, Walt, whether or not it was real. And I, I said, well, I had a remote before, while it was happening that said that that was happening, and now we've got a picture of it, so I'm assuming it was not Photoshopped, it's real. Well, then the guy that had put together that first piece, he went back and he actually put together a second video that shows where he got this information from. And it was a, a camera on a, I believe, a hotel, and it was taking a picture of the square, you know, the plaza, and the the Eiffel Tower in the background every minute. So, he and he show he shows the timestamps and the single photographs. He put it into video, but you can see it. This is the most documented case of a UFO that I have ever come across. You know, I mean, it's amazing because it, it, it's it's there in photographs. Now, I don't know that it's an ET ship at all. I think it, to be honest with you, the same energy signature where I feel that the this that this thing came from is the same group of people that took the nuclear missile out from hitting Hawaii. So you don't think that it's not ET so much as the. Humans that have the secret space program. Correct. Mm. Because I, you know, when when Michael asked me, I said the good guys. You know, um, and he said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And I said, "Well, ET, because what I was seeing was something that is more associated with an ET sighting." You know, but I didn't feel comfortable saying ET, but I didn't know at the time. You know, because I was doing other things. But later okay. on, when I looked at it again, I said, oh, those are our guys. Or, I got the section, so let me know when you want me okay, to. Okay, yeah, it. go, 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 go. Okay. 
the sacrificial burning of Notre Dame Cathedral to Moloch, and in parentheses he puts the names Baal, Set, and Satan, was a desperate attempt by superstitious European Hazarian Satanists to somehow reverse their fortunes, P2 Freemason sources say. It's difficult for normal people to understand the superstitious mindset of these Satanists, but essentially they seem to think they're in a battle against a goddess. That's why they chose to burn Notre Dame, or Our Lady, because this refers to Mary. Mary, of course, is the Christian name for the goddess Isis, who raised an infant until he could defeat Set or Satan. It is for the same superstitious reason that these Satanists created a horrific terror organization and tried to call it and um, tried to call in Isis in order to weaken support for the goddess in the minds of humanity. The hope in sacrificing Notre Dame was to unify European and world sentiment around German Rothschild slave president Emmanuel Macron, just like Americans rallied around George Bush Jr. after 9-11. The sources say, instead, according to multiple sources in the French Yellow Vest resistance, the burning of the cathedral is being blamed on Macron and his German puppet masters. <laughs> so... The result is the same. They failed. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I found it funny. It, it didn't matter who, who ended up doing it. It didn't have the intended effect because you got from your source that they were trying to activate some kind of energy vortex in there or something. Yep. So the, the good guys wanted it stopped. So they got stopped. It was. It had something to do with what they were putting in with the uh, restoration you know it was it was like the restoration was a cover for something else um <clears throat> that's why you have the restoration happening when all this other stuff happens but it's all timing i mean it's just like um but i i have to say that to me, okay, if it was, and I, I do believe, I, I'll go on the record of saying, yes, I think that it was the good guys, you know, the, the, the good side of the secret space program or whatever it is that did this. And that by doing it the way that they did it, because there was also another picture, um, somebody, uh, a woman in front of the, the Notre Dame was taking a picture of a little girl dancing with her dad. And Yeah, the, what was that picture? Well, in the corner of the picture was the same thing that we we saw from the uh, hotel. The she UFO? Was, yeah. And oh, it, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was, it was you had to, to kind of like... I. I think you had to kind of look for it or whatever, but anyway, there oh, it was, and it was in the corner. And see, when you when that that photograph that, that they've got of the ship coming, you know, it just it just appears, it just kind of fades in, stays there for three minutes, fades out, and as it fades out, the smoke from Notre Dame comes right across it. That picture to the left, when you're looking at the picture to the left, is where Notre Dame is. So she's on the ground, and she gets a picture in the right corner, exactly in the same position in the sky where this thing was being also simultaneously photographed from the place on the hotel. This is the most. So there were concurrent photos of it. Precisely. All right. Now, if you're the good guys, you know whether you're ET or you're even the bad guys, to knowingly 
appear, sit there for three minutes and then disappear. This is not something that they thought they were going to get away with. So I see it as a marker for disclosure. Yeah. I think we're going to see more of this. That uh, you mentioned that in the previous show, the other thing that uh, is a piece of evidence to make you, to, you know, make sure that it's the good guys is the absence of a body count. Everybody knows that the cabal, when they do their stuff, they're betting on lots and lots of bodies. And the bee, <laughs> the bees on the roof all survived. What? The oh, bees. yes, I remember, yes, yes. They had beehives on the roof of Notre Dame, and they survived. Mm, look at that. Now, it's one thing, the bees could have flown away from it, but the hives survived. You know, to me, this is like, and and the fact that that the the concept of them going against the goddess. See, you remember hearing me say, I think that those people bet against Gaia, that they Mm -hmm. did not think that there was a creator consciousness. You know, and all of a sudden, even though you got, well, you got some of them that absolutely understand it, and and the, the ISIS. You know, the the whole ISIS thing that permeates, uh, you know, virtually all of the, the, the secret societies. Even in, in, in you know, Washington, D.C., there's a case being made that the whole city, everything about it is being dedicated to the goddess. So you have this kind of a movement on one side, and then you got these others that bet that that side was wrong. You know, and and us guys in the middle. Well, for, let's be honest. For the most part, you know, none of us thought about it. Oh no, no, I don't know. <laughs> you know, who who is talking about guy? Who is talking about the goddess? Not very many of us. And all of a sudden, it's like boom! Oh my God, she is a god. She is here. She does exist. Mother Nature is really here. You know. And you get more and more energy being put into that, so that now. You know, the dark side is realizing, well, crap, she does exist, you know, and I think that that all of a sudden, you know, and and, and also I'm getting I'm getting the images of the uh, pre-Adamites. Mm. And all of a sudden they were there, you know, like pre-Adamites and pre-Adamites, Dolly, are the ones that um, may have crashed into Antarctica. The big heads. The big heads. Cone heads. Cone heads. The cone heads. And that they've been hiding out in the Vatican forever and ever, which is why they have those really weird cone heads things that cover their cone heads. Oh, yes. I I remember uh, learning about them. Yeah. Yep, yep, Thank yep. you. Yes. But all of a sudden, they started flitting through my mind because they are very, very active. Uh, they were they were the orchestrators of the crucifixion, in my opinion. It certainly wasn't Harold, <laughs> you know. Well, even back then, politicians were little more than puppets of, the, oh of my their God. of their wealthy masters. Right, Pontius Pilate was, you know, because I I have not been paying any attention to this History Channel um, story of Jesus, but. One day it oh, got. Oh, I didn't either. 
it, yeah. it just didn't resonate with me. But one day it, no. got, it got on and it was talking about this. And it was somebody talking about this. You know, they were talking about Pontius Pilate. And he had apparently done something that, you know, upset, let's say upset, the um, whoever was uh, emperor at the time. I don't remember who it was. And he knew that if he upset them again... He was probably going to get thrown to the lions. So, well, isn't that why he was stuck in in uh, Israel? Yes, yes. And you the know, Jew- you get those bad those bad posts when you piss somebody off. They put you out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> get you out of the way. <laughs> right. And and this person was saying that the Jewish priests actually sort of blackmailed him and said, you know, we're going to complain to the emperor and you're going to be dead if you don't, you know. Get rid of this guy for us. So and that's why he washed his hands. And that's why he washed his hands. Mm-hmm. I, I he, because he felt very. I think guilty. He, well, I think he must have been touched with the knowledge of this was more than he understood. Mm-hmm. You know, and he just didn't want the bad karma. <laughs> you know, to be the guy that actually did it. He was the mm-hmm. guy that you know allowed it to happen. So, um, but it, it, it Wait, isn't negligence, doesn't negligence make you just as guilty as the actioneer? <laughs> well, no. because it's all about awareness. If you didn't know, well, okay, it's not your fault. You didn't know, but you are fully aware of what they're going to do. So it's being done with your knowledge. So you're just as guilty as the ones, you know, pulling the trigger or uh, making the stabbing. Well, I believe you're right, because in the Bible, it says, even if you think it, you're guilty of it. So, Oh, dear. <laughs> I know, that's what I said. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. But see, I agree with that. You know, every thought you think goes into the collective. Yeah. So, you know, you think bad things, that's what the collective is, is being fed with. You know? That's why I only think of lollipops and bumblebees. Chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream. And peanut brittle with lots of nougat. In so Oak Island. It's the season finale, Walt. Oh, yeah. In the last seven minutes of the show, you have to bring the audience up to speed. There's not much to get them up to speed by because not much is happening. It's got kind of lame there. Um, oh. But the... Eh, Wait, wait a minute, last time you said that they were ready to nook the island just to get to the mystery of it. <laughs> you know, I've got I've got this I've got this this, you know, I don't I I won't exactly say that it's a feeling because it's because it, my mind has also been pondering it. Um and I think you said something to me or somebody said something about the um oh what was his name the the crooks uh ball thing. Oh, what was the guy's name? Vault thing. They opened his vault. What was in it? And it was empty. Rivera did it. Oh yeah, the, the Al Capone. Al Capone's vault. And they got oh, in there, and, oh. and there, <clears throat> and there was nothing there. You know, I yeah. got this feeling that there's a back door, and somebody went in the back door and took all this stuff out. Even if they find it, there's not going to be anything there anymore. And, you know, and, and today, well, I saw a blurb for what's coming up, and they're back in the water, and they're seeing something, because I, I, 
I think that that the back door was underwater, but not very much underwater, and that over the years, as the water got a little higher, it's gotten deeper. You know. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw that blurb too, and I was wondering, well, are they going to find something like an opening for the back door, or? Or are they even going to find the back door, maybe? I don't know. Got me interested. Yeah. It was like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my god! They're dangling that carrot in front of us. Yep, yep, (laughs) yep. And then they they started to, 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 they're going after the swamp again. Yeah. and that that swamp has been so strange. See, well, what probably was that there was probably two islands very close together, even maybe almost attached, and that they were able to create this swamp thing between them. Okay, in other words, they they think that they may have taken a ship and sunk a ship in in the swamp area then made it into a swamp. Because when you look at it, it's a perfect triangle. And it's odd the way it's made. So they have tried to drain it. They've drained it. They found weird things. They found the metal detectors would go off and they'd then get, you know, go out to, to get whatever was there. And, and now the metal detectors don't work. It's like spooky. So uh marty the the one that's got the money that you know behind it marty marty and and his partner there he but marty says i don't like going to the swamp i hate the swamp i don't want to go to the swamp but he said i hear your 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 narration and i get the image of a group of cavemen trying to work a laptop In some ways, that's kind of what it is. Oh my God! So now they that in a lot of experts, though, you got to give them credit for that. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're going to uh, they're going to drain the swamp, and they will do that tonight, right? Because they have to. Yes. Because this is the this is if see, this is season finale. They have to. That means that they didn't work after that, and they had a permit to drain it this year. They don't have a permit to drain it next year. Oh, they'd have to go through the whole processing thing again. <laughs> but by well, now, once they're done, once they're done, are they going to leave the island the way they found it? I'm not sure the island will be there when they're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just one of the most amazing tales I've ever. And I'm wondering if the treasure is really uh, between. Uh, Oak Island and that other island where the man said it's gonna you're gonna find stuff in the water between these islands he said that a, a while back maybe even last year but I wonder if it's gonna be where he said in the islands between I mean the waters between the islands that could be where the back door is we don't know <laughs> No, <laughs> maybe when they maybe when they were in the water, maybe it was the swamp, not the ocean. What? When we saw them in the water, looking at this this man made thing in the water, maybe that was in the swamp, not the o- ocean. Oh, oh, 
Because it wasn't that deep. Oh. Uh. But I thought, I thought, uh, Mar- yeah, Marty's son, I thought he was on a boat. Well, yeah, they might be in a boat in the ocean. Well, I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be on tonight in about <laughs> two minutes. Well, they're going to go back over what they did last week, and then they do the new one. Um, it's just, it's a fun, it keeps us amused, right, Dolly? Certainly does. Gives Dolly a reason <laughs> to live. <laughs> That's right. So, so, if, so if they find a piece of wood with a... With something that looks like a button, and in ancient English it says, do not press, and they press it, and then you see this mushroom cloud over the horizon, <laughs> and you know this, the show is over, right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of jealous of Dan Blank. Uh, Blankenshut. Blank the older man, yeah. is that Dan? Dan. Who owned the... the and sold it to Marty and 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 the and company. Anyway, I'm kind of jealous of him because he already knows what's there and what isn't there because he crossed over. He cheated. I think he was trying to hang on. I think he you, was. You trying can talk to him. Or don't you have permission to talk to him? Oh yeah. Yeah, but no, they won't tell us that. Ah. Oh. Well, maybe maybe it's up to us what's going to happen. Maybe we're the ones who's t- who, you know, finish the story. But we finished the story of Cosmic Reality Radio tonight. <laughs> oh, already? Yeah, it's been fun. It's having fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, kids. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you, Dolly, and thank you, everyone, for spending this evening with us. We'll see you again next week. Yes. Thanks, all. Love you guys. Uh, bye bye. Preaching, preaching the unknown, unknown, unknown. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.